again, and welcome to another episode of Balls and Brew, the flagship sports podcast here on the Morgan E. Note Podcast Network. I am your host, Rod Morgan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Jimmy Jamriska for producing. Thank you to my two co-hosts for this episode. First, joining me from North Carolina, he is the godfather to my son, the Vanimal. He is Chris King. Chris, hello. Hello, Internet. Hey, Rod. How's it going? Wonderful. I uh, I'm I'm not really a Milwaukee Bucks fan, so it is okay that they are about to lose Game One of the Eastern Conference Finals to timestamp this. That means it is almost eleven o'clock Eastern Time, late night for Chris and I, but not so late night for our boy out in Arizona, the Desert Man himself, Mr. Matt Roberts. Hello. Uh, hello. But I'm about to throw you for a loop. Oh, that's right. You travel. Your boy is not in Arizona. Your boy is in Indianapolis right now. Uh, almost eleven o'clock Eastern Time with you. Nice. All right. Well, there you go. Then then it is late night pod for all of us. We were kind of wanting to see the end of this Atlanta Hawks-Milwaukee Bucks game. The game is not technically over, but it sort of looks like it's over. They did put Trey Young to the free throw line here, and he may put him up three, and the Bucks are going to have under five seconds. But Milwaukee, not necessarily a dead-eye three-point shooting team, are they, Chris? So I don't necessarily like their chances here. Yeah, no. And when they do get open threes, they tend to get the wrong person open. So I don't know how good it's going to work out. Yeah, we will uh, We will get back to the uh, Eastern Conference, but uh, we have uh, somebody who's been in touch with what's happening in Phoenix. They've been on the ground for this absolute playoff just blitz, nine straight wins by the Phoenix Suns, Suns and four. Mr. Roberts, tell us what it's like living out there in the desert, the heart of it. Uh, rally the Valley, baby. It's uh, it's been insane. I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Suns guy, but every place I go, everyone's talking to Suns. Uh, everybody's watching them. It's the talk of the town, and and they're living up to it. And that finish of the game last night was incredible. So I mean, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board. Um, let me ask you this: here's just a quick little sidebar. I mean, has that has the Suns and Four guy? Is he making bar appearances? Like, is he making radio <laughs> sports talk radio appearances? Like, what's going on for Suns and Four guy? So apparently, yeah, he he's made some contact with Devin Booker. He got some tickets. Um, there's some. Stupid morning radio show. No offense to what you do on the radio, Mr. Morgan, you know, but... The I work afternoons. I work afternoons. Right, Thank you. Right. This morning one is just atrocious, but the other day, apparently, one of the DJs like went to high school with the kids, so they were trying to get him on to, to get his story, but he's like semi-famous in Phoenix right now. He most definitely is. Uh, what's Do you know his name? Can we? Can we? Are, are we allowed to credit him his name, or is he just going officially by Sons and Four? I couldn't tell you what his name is, but apparently has some Instagram. It's like sons.ends.n.4official nice. or something like that. Like he's 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 living up to it. All right, good. Well, he hasn't reached the level of all of us knowing his name, so that's uh that's good. But uh, the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker has risen to the level of uh, almost sort of making me eat my words, Chris. I mean, I kind of used to paint Devin Booker off as a as a good stats, bad team guy, and he's definitely been a little different than that this playoffs, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think the Suns have really surprised just about everybody this year, maybe except for a few diehards. But I, I don't think anybody expected this out of the Suns this year. And even when they had the good regular season, I don't think anybody still expected this type of run in the playoffs because it's such a young team. They do have uh, Floor General and CP3, and he has helped tremendously. But you got to think, this is this is Booker and Iton's team right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they won the first two games of this uh, Western Conference Finals against the Clippers, a, a team who I thought was maybe rounding into form. And I mean, you know, you don't want to you don't want to make it a habit of betting on the Clippers because this is the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team we've seen over the past couple of years. But they were looking strong at this point, and and Chris Paul's out, and they still roll to these game one and two wins. Now, Chris, you're you're a little older than Mr. Roberts and I. I mean, can you remember a game that <laughs> ended in an alley oop like that? Um, no. No, not not in a long time. Not in. Uh, I've seen a few of those types of plays, like the end of a half or a quarter, but you never see that at the end of a game to win. You see people attempt it, but like that's the thing, you cannot let that play happen. I don't know who messed up on the Clippers, but someone messed up. Whether it was the coaching staff or the actual players on the floor, that's the one play you can't allow when there's less than a second on an inbound pass. You just can't. Well, I, I think a little bit of what was at play here, and it's a little bit of a Mighty Ducks 2 strategy, a little playbook from Gordon Bombay, where you bring in uh, Julie the Cat Gaffney cold off the bench to play the goal. Uh, Ty Lue did that with DeMarcus Cousins, right, because he wanted a tall guy to guard the out-of-bounds play. Cousins doesn't take the right angle to shut Crowder off from a good look at the backboard. And Roberts, I'm sure living in, in Phoenix, well, that you're in Indianapolis, but traveling today, you've seen so many different angles of this. I mean, he's got a clear, open shot to throw it right at the rim, and I'll be damned if Jay Crowder didn't make the perfect pass. And it's not referred to as an alley-oop anymore, boys. It's the valley-oop. I like that. Oh, nice. I heard that afterwards, and and I'm in. I mean, I saw that and could not believe what that, how that even transpired. Like, you don't even, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be some touch release, like try to be a tip, whatever. And Aiton just goes up and seals the deal. It was crazy. It was awesome. Now, I fancy myself a basketball know-it-all, but I must admit, when that play first happened, I thought to myself, I was like, wait a minute, that's basket interference, right? They're not going to allow that. Chris, did you have the same thoughts, or did you know the rule the way Jeff Van Gundy did? Um, I did not hear what Jeff Van Gundy said, but like I knew there couldn't be any type of basket interference, goaltending, or anything like that. That's an inbound play. You can't make a shot from an inbound pass, so there's no shot attempt being made. So yeah, it's really a fair ball, free ball for anybody to get up there and grab. That's why that's a defense. The fact that no one was even trying to challenge to grab that ball in the air shocked me. Well, Zubach was there. I mean, let's give a little bit of credit to Zubach. He was there. He just he got that back pick from Devin Booker, which completely surprised everybody because I thought that the play was going to be Zubach was going to get picked so Booker could pop out and try to take a jump shot around the elbow area. But Booker with the broken nose down screens on Zubach and then Aiton rolls to the basket and Zubach is just about a half second late and that's ball game. I mean, that was just it was an incredible finish. One of the better ones I've seen, and we've seen some great finishes even this playoffs, but that one absolutely has to take the cake. So that was that was impressive. And the Hawks-Bucks game just ended, and I, there's a little wind taken out of my sails here because I was prepared to tell you guys that I think the Milwaukee Bucks were about ready to almost walk to the NBA crown, and now here they are losing game one at home to the Hawks. So, uh, Chris, uh, what do you think? Should I still stick with the Bucks? They're looking strong, or do you think maybe the Hawks be Suns or Team of Destiny right now? I tell you what, Trey Young has done a tremendous job of winning me over this year. Like I am now officially a fan. Like he he started at the beginning of the year. You know, I've been pushing from three and D all the way through the playoffs. That that you know this guy needed to get some respect. I put him on my All NBA teams. He has really shown what he ended up having tonight, 47. 
yeah. 40, 48, something like that. Like, I think 48, cra- 47. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And he's a young guy that you don't expect. This was his first playoffs, right? Yep. I mean, no one expected this from him. He's out there running the floor like he's a seasoned veteran, and he's got that team playing about as hot as any other team out there besides the Suns. And I don't think you can bet against Atlanta right now. I still have concerns about Milwaukee. We've seen them in series, like even against the Nets, where they were just horrible in their half-court offense during like whole stretches of like a whole game. Like Game 2 was a horrible game for them offensively. They still eked out the win, but that was still a horrible game offensively. And I still think they have that problem. I don't think they're. it's going to be tough for them to get four wins. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think the the Bucks at time made the Nets look like defensive juggernauts, and defensive juggernauts the Brooklyn Nets absolutely were not. But Mr. Roberts, let me ask you this about about Trey Young because he's kind of breaking through, being a bit more into the spotlight. How much do you think a chip on the shoulder plays into a guy like Trey Young? Right? Does it does it strike you the way it strikes me that this guy kind of lives off of that and wants to be the villain? Yeah, he does. He, I mean, what was it? New York? You know, he hits a shot there kind of, I don't want to say taunts the crowd, but, you know, bows at him afterwards. I think he has that little, I'm too small. I'll never, I'm just a shooter. I'll never make it. And he's turned the franchise around now. I mean, would you have thought Atlanta was playing a conference final at the beginning of the year? Absolutely not. Uh, and he's shown that he can take a team and do that. And it's it's been fun to watch. Although when I have to watch his games, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon for me and I'm at work, but... <laughs> I love that time portal. And I'll tell you who absolutely didn't think that the Atlanta Hawks would end up being in the conference finals this year would be the Indiana Pacers because they allowed Nate McMillan to not be their head coach anymore to go be an assistant coach with Atlanta. And now he's their head coach. Atlanta's in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Pacers at home fired the guy already that they replaced Nate McMillan with. So uh, it doesn't look real good for your hometown Pacers, does it, Chris? No, it does not. They, they're getting real close to becoming the Knicks. So it's just it's tough for the Pacers and it's going to be tough for the Milwaukee Bucks. I really hoped that again the Bucks could could route through the Hawks and they still may, right? This series is definitely not over and I would challenge people even though the Suns are hot, I would challenge people to say do not count the Clippers out because of their Jekyll and Hydeness and the fact that they've already come down from come back from 0-2 already twice in this playoffs. I think there's also a very and Chris, I want you to gauge my level of craziness on this. I think there's a very good chance that Kawhi Leonard still could possibly play. Chris, what do you say to that? I think there's a possibility. I don't think we'll see it, though. I don't see any kind of history, or with Kawhi, with Leonard's history anyway, of him fighting back to come back quicker than he needs to. I just don't see it. I don't. I think he realizes he's not going to be a Clipper next year, and he's going to go somewhere else. And I think he's going to try to be healthy for that. Wow, wow! You're just dropping bombs on here. Sometimes you're just dropping bombs on here. Sometimes. One last thing I wanted to check on on the NBA before we uh, meet Mr. Roberts more and uh, his expertise and talk a little bit about the U.S. Open is the uh, draft lottery. Mr. Roberts, as an NBA casual fan. Any attention paid to the lottery whatsoever? Did you just catch it as a like an update that came across your phone? The only reason I knew anything about the draft lottery was about three of the guys from my office are big Detroit Pistons fans, okay. so they were they they were going insane, and that's the that's the only reason I knew it was even going on. I don't even know who like the number one pick's going to be. 
All right. Well, Chris, how, let me ask you this. Do you know the last time the Detroit Pistons basketball team had the number one pick in the NBA draft? Um, whew, It would have been probably late 70s, early 80s, maybe? Was Isaiah number early one Early 70s. Pick? 1970. Big oh, Bob wow. Lanier was the last time the Detroit Pistons had the first pick in the NBA draft. Well, Big Bob. He had huge feet. That's all I know about Bob Lanier. I know he's a Hall of Famer, and he had huge feet. That's all I know about Bob Lanier. But what I do know is, I got to be honest here, and no shade to anybody from Detroit that might be listening, but I'd be a little bummed out right now if I was Jalen Green, if I was Jonathan Kaminga, if I was Cade Cunningham, right? If I was one of these guys who's going to be at the top of the draft, I would be a little bummed out right now to be like, man, I'm going to Detroit where I got to play with Jeremy Grant, who is a fake all-star who just got up 30 shots a game last year. Like, I would be totally bummed out right now. Chris, your thoughts? Maybe. I don't know. I think it's been pretty evident when you see somebody like a Steph Curry come in, go to a team that hasn't been known to be successful and has been able to turn that franchise around. Uh, A guy... uh, like Trey Young going to a franchise that hasn't been relevant in a long time, come in and turn that franchise around. I think these kids coming out of college that are in this lottery, especially are guys who have been guys to lead their team, be the floor generals. You know, they're used to this. They want that challenge. I don't think they're going to necessarily see it. Now, Maybe that changes if somebody has some history with a couple of guys on there on that team already, but they're going to see the checks rolling in and they're going to see an opportunity to be the stud. And I think that's what they want. They want to be the guy that's going to turn that franchise around and take them to the next level. If I was Cade Cunningham, and I think that's where Detroit's going to go, you got to look at it as like, well, this is, this is the next step. You know, this is this is going to be the franchise I turn around and I'll get the eyes on me. I think that's what you'll see. Maybe. I mean, that's that speaks very well to the to the basketball of it all. But, Mr. Roberts, let's speak to the just living of it all. Right. I mean, how excited are you going to be about like Chris mentioned Steph Curry there? The only difference between uh, between those situations is Steph Curry got to go live in Oakland slash San Francisco. Kate Cunningham's going to go have to live in Auburn Hills. Yeah, I'd much rather go live in Oakland and San Francisco than Auburn Hills. I was just there like a month ago, and uh, nothing attractive about that area. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. And just cold. I mean, I live here in northern Indiana. Michigan can be even worse sometimes, right? Cold and snow and just all the above. And, I mean, just frankly, it all plays in now, right? Like, Chris, you mentioned it there, kids, right? But that also is a factor. Zion Williamson has been in the league two years, been hurt for quite a bit of it, and already his family and him are raising a bunch of mess down in New Orleans, right? Like, these these kids expect a bunch of stuff to be handed to them. So I just think that it's going to be a problem for Detroit. I mean – I see that as more of a situation for recruiting in college. When you become a professional, it's not necessarily as much about that. You saw a guy like Peyton Manning grew up in Louisiana, go to school in the South in Tennessee, and then make a home, a name, and a family, and build a community essentially in Indiana. And he still lives there now. 
Yeah, well, but that's also Peyton Manning, who went to college for four different years and had a little bit of foundational wealth already before he went to college. It's a little different situation than a lot of these guys rolling into the NBA. I just think location doesn't mean as much in professional sports as it does getting recruited in college. If LeBron James wasn't from Akron, Ohio, do you think he ever would have signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Well, not the second time. He never would have taken his talents back to Cleveland. But I think he would exactly. have Exactly. So where did he go the two times that he had his own free will? Well, I mean, he went to where he knew he could win championships for one when he went to no, Miami. No, look at you dodging the question. No. Look at you. Where did he went? Where did he go? He went to Miami, which is in a state with no state income tax. That's and a it's bigger also Miami. selling that's a bigger selling point than it just being on the beach. I'll just say that. It's also listen, And then he went to LA. He went to party with the city the where the heat is market. on, Chris. It's okay. It's, it's okay. He listened market. to Will Smith and he went to party where the city where the heat is on. <laughs> and he went to the city of angels, the city of stars, Los Angeles. Okay? So I understand what you're trying to say here. And I hope, I hope upon hope for the game of basketball that that is true. And I am so glad that the Brooklyn Nets are no longer involved in these playoffs because they basically made a mockery of everything you and I are trying to stand for here, talking about basketball-wise, in the way that James Harden got himself out of Houston, in the way that these guys played less than 10 games together. I mean, just the way it all would have came together would have been an absolute travesty against basically everything you're talking about here, Chris. So I hold it dear and hope that you're right, but I fear that we are just seeing the beginnings of a completely different NBA. And I think that all of that stuff matters. And that's why I think there was, there were some people in the league office kind of shaking their head and being like, Oh man, we're kind of bummed out that Detroit came to the top of this lottery balls. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. I don't know. I mean, is there a super team that got put together that's in this Western conference finals? I mean, I guess you can call the Clippers, but like without Leonard, they're not really a super team. Um, the 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 Hawks have Trey Young. Uh, you got the Bucks with Giannis, and then you got Booker and you know an elder CP3 and another young guy and I. And that's not a super team. So you, these super teams like Brooklyn, like LA, you know, except for the Clippers, I guess. But like they're not that successful this year, right? Good. Maybe. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I know. I, I that's what I'm. Holds. That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking that maybe this that won't be the future of the NBA that these guys are going to want to take a team on their own. Like you see a lot of things doing, you know, have a superstar and then the right pieces around them instead of just three of the top 10 players in the NBA playing on the same team together. They may not be able to coexist. We don't even know. They haven't had enough time playing together. So hopefully people will stop trying to build these super type teams because they haven't been successful really, except for when LeBron was in Miami or Shaq went to LA. I was going to say, you could, we could, we could start pulling up a, a whole lot more of where it happens and that's okay. I love the NBA, but I think that this, it's something to be said for. And I think that if Milwaukee wins, right, they're, they're really basically a homegrown team. They just are. They made, they executed a trade for Drew Holiday, but other than that, they were the ones that drafted Giannis. You hear a lot of stories about that draft night now and about how so many guys were like, well, I told our team to take Giannis. Well, guess what? You didn't. The Bucs did, and they created him into the two-time MVP, and they traded for Chris Middleton as a throw-in and then developed him into a good player. So I hope that you're right, Chris, and that that's what we see more. The Hawks are definitely that, too. All of their guys are homegrown, except for a couple of late, 
late career veterans they brought in here and Bogdanovich and Gallinari to sure things up. So same we'll with see. the Suns, you know, they're essentially a homegrown team. They brought in CP three, you know, a crafty vet, but they're essentially a homegrown team. The Jazz were a homegrown team for the most part. I'll just be interested to see if what you and I are talking about is the reason that these teams bubbled up, or if it's just the fact that this year was still a really, really odd year by NBA standards. And then next year, when we get back closer to what the NBA actually really and truly is with games a little more spaced out, more of a training camp, all the above, that things might be different. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But one thing we do know how it went was the U.S. Open. That has already happened. We talked about it before it happened. Now we got to wrap it up real quick and go a little closer to where Mr. Roberts lives and talk about golf on the other side here of a break for Mr. Jim. Another one has landed at the 72nd hole, this time for Long to take the lead in the U.S. Open. All right, so we are back, Mr. Roberts. I guess we'll just start here. Congratulations. I threw it to you first on who you like to win the U.S. Open, and you gave us the pick. Uh, I did. I, I didn't have anything other than a gut feeling. Um, I thought he would just come out playing well after a disappointing finish at Memorial, and uh, he, was, he was a grinder and, and, and a well-deserved victory. It really was. I wanted to ask you, what do you think – was the main factor into all of the play we saw on Sunday? Was it wind? Was it the rough? Was it the greens? Was it just nerves? What do you think it was that led to so many guys just coughing it up? I think it was a, it's a combination of everything. Um, if you missed a fairway on Sunday where those pens were, you couldn't get them to the right spaces. Um, if you looked at those putts Rom made on 17 and 18, those things each broke like six, eight feet. They were gnarly. I mean, he doesn't make those two putts in a row probably ever again in his career at a big tournament. Those those were insane putts. Um, so I, I think it was just the course setup. And then you get in where you looked at a packed leaderboard with Rom, Ustaz, and McElroy, Justin Thomas. Uh, DeChambeau at one point was up there. Kepka at one point was up there. Uh, you look at that and you go, uh-oh, I, I got to play well, and, and I think the nerves could have could have kicked in at that point. Yeah, so Chris, I know you were watching a little bit of this. If I would have asked you at around 7.15 Eastern, again, our time, not the time Mr. Roberts was watching it, but 7.15 our time, who's going to win the U.S. Open? Who might have you told me at that point? Do you remember? I, I think I still would have said Rom, just because of the way Roberts really talked him up. And he had really just played more consistently better than everybody else had up to that point. Yeah, I'd say there was some consistency in his game for sure. He didn't seem to have those fluctuations like we had the uh the 48-year-old who was the leader after 36 holes and then uh things went things went really bad for him on the uh weekend, Mr. Roberts. Kind of like we talked about you went 69 and then a different score not to be named after that, right? Correct. I mean, that's that's a different spot that guy uh had tried to qualify like 287,000 times to get in and gets in he's leading I mean I can't imagine the pressure on that but if, yeah. if you were asking me at 415 mountain time I would have told you probably Bryson was going to win the way he was charging but we all know what happened then my goodness yeah I was going to say we definitely got to touch on that since this is definitely a Brooks Bryson podcast where we make sure we check in on each of them every episode I mean that was a guy like Bryson that's just supposed to be so cerebral, that just really struck me as odd. Or, Mr. Roberts, does he have more of a history of that than I know? No, I don't think you do, but I think that shows the fragility of the game. You can be as cerebral as you want, but 
you can make a swing sometime that goes against every single thing you're feeling, uh, everything you've practiced, and you have no idea where the ball is going, and you don't know what's wrong. And I think that slid into a few holes there where he just he didn't know where the ball was going. Um, on that stage, you're trying to scramble to maybe make bogey to keep yourself in contention, and you make an eight on a hole. And then your confidence is gone. You're not coming back from that. You can have one bad double bogey hole and bounce back, but you make an eight on a hole, your tournament's over, and then you're and then you're shot. Yeah, I was gonna say, Chris, were you uh, were you did you enjoy seeing uh, Mr. DeChambeau struggle a little bit like that? Did you think kind of a little bit of karma, a little bit of hubris, maybe coming his way? Anything like that cross your mind? I get a little bit of Schrodinger every time I see professional golfers struggle a little bit. It makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> that's definitely a lot of struggling that went on on that Sunday and I mean I also I thought that uh, Hicks and Azinger were really kind of giving it to guys for folding it a little bit it's like man it's real easy for you guys sitting up in the ivory tower I was like man you guys need to calm down a little bit I, I agree a little bit but I will say a, a couple of the points they made were 100% correct um, Louis Oosthuizen threw that tournament away I hate to say it I'm, I'm a Louis fan I'm a big guy but for him to hit that ball in the hazard on 17 is completely unacceptable, as well as he hit the ball all week. All yeah, that was, a, that was a tough shot. That really and, was. And, and even they said, you know, that uh, that's one shot he wants back. You know, I can't believe he did that. And I had to look back and say the same thing. There's there's no reason for him to hit that ball. He can hit three wood 75 yards right of that and still make par, probably make birdie on the last hole and force a playoff. Yeah, that was definitely I, that was a shot where I thought to myself, I was like, man, I can't believe that because I know, I mean, you put me on that hole, right? I'm I'm still looking at, you know, I'm two strokes behind where he's at on there, and I'm still probably not even going to try to hit that shot. I'm like, just get me up there, and I'm going to tap in for triple at this point. You know what I mean? Like I still would have played it that way, and for him at, at that point of the tournament, it just. But I just, you know, again, it's like I said, those guys, it's easy for them setting up at the tower. It's easy for me sitting back here not ever having to deal with that kind of pressure. So. Mr. Roberts, let's lean forward into this a little bit. So we have major championship winners, three different ones already, and we have one major championship left, but it's really different kind of golf. What should we be looking forward to as we lean towards the next major? Uh, the next one is lovingly referred to as the Open. Uh, used to be, everybody said the British Open, but it, it's the Open. Um, you're going to look at somebody who's a good ball striker. Uh, the courses are going to be windy. Uh, it's going to be typically more link-style golf. Uh, guys that are putting and can control their ball are going to play well. You're going to see a big European contingent that always plays well in those. Um, Justin, or, I'm sorry, not Justin Thomas. Jordan Spieth plays well in British Opens. He can flight the ball down. He can handle the wind. He grew up playing in Texas. He's used to it. So, you know, he's playing really well, so that's an easy name to throw out. But usually an Open suits his game. Well, that's uh, speaking of Jordan Spieth, I, uh, we should touch on our uh, our little competition that we had amongst all of us. And uh, Jordan Spieth was my uh, was my high place finisher. He got nineteenth for me. Fairway Jesus, as you call them, Roberts, Mister Tommy Fleetwood got fifty fourth for me. And then my guy, my guy that I thought was the rock, my guy that I thought would get me my my best score, Tony Finau missed the cut. So I, needless to say, I believe I finished third. I was way out of the running. Yeah, I think I had a, a one, a four, and a miscut. So it came out after our rules, I think the twenty sixth average position. Yep, and Mr. King, you, you finished a little closer to Mr. Roberts than I did, but I believe you ultimately finished second, right? 
I think he did. I think Chris finished second. He had a – I'm trying to remember. Chris's, Chris's three golfers. Mr. Roberts helped me out. Wait, no, I've got the list right here. He had he had DJ, Xander, and Gary Woodland. So, Woodland – did Woodland make the cut, Mr. Roberts? I believe Woodland made the cut, but he didn't do really any noise. Was He He might have been higher than 54th, though, for uh, Tommy Fleetwood. But I think DJ – DJ, did he miss the cut or did he score no, up? No, DJ played well. He finished probably in the top 25. I was going to say, so I think him and Xander both maybe finished in the top 25. So I think that's what put Mr. King close to you. But ultimately pulling the winner gave you the, the best score. There's Mr. Yeah. King. You all right, Chris? Yeah, yeah no. Uh, what I was going to try to say is, yeah, so I definitely had three guys that made the cut. But I think you got to give Roberts the win. I think when you average out our scores, we were both right at like 25 or 26. And so Ty goes to the guy who picked the winner. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a good call. But that was a that was a good, nice little competition. We will certainly try to do the same thing for the Open Championship as we move forward. And uh, I guess let's just uh, check in one last place. Uh, Mr. Roberts, was there any new DeChambeau, Kepka fuel thrown on the fire coming out of this weekend? Any new stories that we need to be updated? Any new any new points on either side of the ledger? Uh, nothing that I've seen. Um, but I did have a little, like, I think it was Max Homa who said, how much would you have laughed if that ball of Bryson's that rolled up next to the Amstel light case would have been a case of Michelob Ultra. Like that would have just been, it would, it would have been amazing. Yeah, no doubt. They would have definitely played a commercial off of that. So Mr. Roberts in, uh, enjoy your time in Indianapolis. And I believe a Billy strings concert is in your near future. Is that correct? Uh, Friday and Saturday. I will, I will be, uh, enjoying my first real live show in about 18 months so i'm uh, I'm looking forward to that nice you're going on friday and saturday and this sunday myself i will be enjoying my first live show in quite a while a little trampled by turtles Ooh. in the indianapolis area so yeah I got, I got that happening love that um i may still be in the indianapolis area if you want to maybe try to catch a beverage before the show Ooh, okay i will uh i will do that that is a uh, wonderful and mr king Tramp- are you are you checking by- out and I was going to say, Trampled by Turtles is one of the best band names I've ever heard. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet you're not very familiar with their with their work, though, are you? No. Yeah, Billy Strings, familiar with Billy Strings? No. Yeah, we could have literally said anything right there. We could have said the Jolly Green Giants. We could have said Crucial Taunt. Yep. <laughs> Crucial Taunt. And they're just finishing up the set. <laughs> I heard they could wail. You're right. I don't know why I just put in a words world there, but I did. Love it. You never know what you're going to get on Balls and Brew, especially a late night episode. So I want to thank Mr. Roberts for joining us. I want to thank Mr. King for joining us. I want to thank Mr. Jim Riska for producing. And I want to thank all of you for listening. An episode where Jimmy and I chop up the World Wrestling Entertainment Federation, WWE, if you will, is out in your feeds. So check that one out if you haven't. And uh, I believe we're going to have a Yeah We Know about country music coming up in the near future. So just keep your eyes on this feed. Keep listening and telling your friends to listen because it's free and we appreciate it. And until next time, that's the Morgan You Know, Mr. King. Goodbye, Internet.